Welcome everybody to another episode of Real Chumps. I'm your host, Marcel, and with me as always is my co-host, Danny. In this week's episode, we're going to discuss the 1997 Studio Chibli film, Princess Mononoke. We are also accompanied by a special guest, Derek McDuff of the Underrated Podcast. Welcome, Derek. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here and to talk about this film with you. Yeah, no, Derek, we're super excited uh, to have you join us. I know we we took some coordinating on our part, but I'm glad our <laughs> schedules kind of lined up. And, and thank you so much for making time to be with us. And more importantly, I actually want to thank you for recommending this or saying that this is the film you wanted to watch because this is one that's been on my to watch list for a long time. Oh, um, so you never seen it? I've I had never seen it. I've oh, seen wow. um I've seen I think three of the other uh, Chibli films mm-hmm. um that that have, you know that they've produced. So this was a real treat for me. This is that's my, awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. And this is my first time watching it as well. I've I've only wow. seen uh, Kiki's Delivery Service, which I love. Uh, so this is my first time too. So thank you for suggesting this. We'll we'll get into why you like this movie. Yeah, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for our listeners, Derek, would love for you to just do a quick intro, who you are, a little bit about yourself, your podcast as well, uh, just so that they know where, where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, like you guys are saying, I'm one of the hosts of the, and I'm also the producer of the underrated podcast. Like you guys, we're a film podcast, and we focus kind of on movies that more people should watch, um, things that are a little bit underseen or under the radar. Because um, it's one of my favorite things to introduce people to movies that they really should should watch and haven't for whatever reason. So honestly, hearing you, that you guys haven't seen this movie, I'm so excited to talk about it with you guys. But yeah, uh, that's us over on Underrated. We're on all the same podcast websites. If you just look up like Undercast Company, uh, that's the name that me and my friends use when we do podcasts. It should come right up on whatever podcast app you're listening to. And yeah, I'm a you know a uh, film critic work for just freelance for places like watchmojo.com and stuff like that in my spare time <laughs> when i'm not doing my day job all right well we'll leave we'll make sure to leave all your stuff in the description down below we normally start this podcast with a question of the day or a question of the episode i guess uh and sometimes we do a would you rather uh and sometimes we do just like a random question today i think we're going to do a would you rather so would you rather be in prince beast like a character or in the world of princess mononoke or Kiki's Delivery Service. I feel like Kiki's would be nice. Kiki's is it's just like a nice kind of quaint like 1800s European town with magic. If I lived in Princess Mononoke, I would be dead. I would absolutely not last a week in that world. Like a forest spirit or like some some like crazy monk or something would they would something would kill me without question or like a wolf i don't know what i would i would not last though but if i can just like go and like where the the worst thing that happens is there's like a traffic accident because somebody gets stuck on a broom that's fine that's that's the world i would love to you live can in. handle that you can yeah. handle that for sure i think for me it would be cool though to like be in princess mononoke a hundred percent you're right i would die but, like <laughs> the ability to like I feel like everyone in that in that environment is very like skilled in something, and just to like talk to like the gods would be so cool, right? Yeah, I think that'd be yeah. Cool. yeah. I would like it, that. It, it would be last beautiful. Very long, but yeah, <laughs> it would be yes. cool. That yeah, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be. be awesome. It wouldn't be a long time living there, but it would be a very nice time, you know, like getting to see all that that beautiful beauty. Oh man, you know, I was actually so you you bring up some great points, Derek Marcel. You also bring some good points. Honestly, for me, 
I I probably also would be in Mononoke, and I would either be some sort of like weird traveling guy that just cooks for people <laughs> so that I don't die because they're like, well, if we he dies, then we don't have any food. <laughs> or uh, I always want to hang on to the place where uh, all the ladies are like, <laughs> what's up, guys? <laughs> I just thought that was such a fun like dynamic. I just think uh, – I will say, though um, – Every time I watch Kiki, I just think about like uh, riding a broom, and then I think about Quidditch, and I just feel like <laughs> I feel like people who are in Kiki's uh, delivery service would just probably really just be great. Great, I would love to see them play Quidditch. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, no, that'd be cool. <laughs> I, can, I can dig that. I can appreciate it. Um, perfect. Well, let's let's jump into this. We, as part of a of having a guest speaker or a guest speaker, a guest on our podcast, <laughs> is we like to ask them what to choose a movie that we're going to discuss, but a movie that has shaped them, influenced them, etc. We did that on our first episode. I chose a movie that shaped my love for cinema, whereas Danny, you chose uh, a movie that shaped you in a very crucial time of, of like your teenage years yeah. and like the person, the man that you are today, yeah. right? So it can be whatever way. We asked that same question for you, Derek, and you chose Princess Mononoke. And we kind of want to start with your experience with this movie, why you chose this movie, and yeah, just kind of give us a little bit of context there. Yeah, so you know, this was a, a really good question when you asked me, and when I, I did have to kind of think about it for a little, my initial thought was I actually had the same answer of you out the bat, where I was like, Jurassic Park from a very young age just kind of formed my brain into loving cinema. Um, so, so I can always say take that because it was already taken, but also I think that Mononoke is probably a better choice for me. Both are very influential, but I watched this one first in high school. I was probably about 15 or 16, so I was really becoming the person that I would be. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, just like Jurassic Park shaped both of our loves for cinema, this kind of made me into the kind of storyteller that I am today because I'm also like a writer. I do write some fiction and fantasy and stuff like that. And the complexity of this story I thought was so interesting and phenomenal and just kind of rewired my brain in a way where it's like you we've all seen movies that are like environmental have environmental messages and I'm all for those, you know, going back to my childhood stuff like Ferngully, but then you have stuff like later on like Wally or Avatar, all that good stuff. Um, but this is really much more complex than that because like a lot of Miyazaki's movies, this is very much say a pro environment, but it's also saying we, it's not just like a blanket, like nature. Good. That's it's so much more than it. It's like, we have to find a way to live in balance with nature. People and nature are both sides of the coin. And when one side becomes too weighted down, things get out of whack and, that's another thing too. It's like you watch this movie, you know, by like this is in the past. By the time we're living in quote unquote today, the forest spirits are all gone. All the old gods are dead. So this is we're seeing them like the last gasps of this. And just every character in it is so interesting and complex. I wouldn't even say there's a real antagonist in this. There's just different yeah. points of view. Even like somebody like Lady Eboshi, who is probably the closest to an antagonist that you actually see in the movie. There's some off-screen characters like Lord Asano that are maybe more antagonistic, but she is so interesting. It's like, yeah, she's doing things that are destroying the forest, but 
She's also helping the people. She's helping yeah. lepers. She's helping these uh, women who, like, she's giving them actual jobs when they were forced to work as prostitutes before. Right. Like, right. it's, it, it's, and then you, her, like, fight with Saw, and, like, everything, you can really find, just, oh, I've watched this movie over and over and over again. I feel like literally every time I watch it, I catch something new. And it's just really shaped me in the way that I want to, both consume and tell interesting complex stories that are not morally clear that make you stop and think what is the right thing to do here what is the right course of action and to look at not just you know people you agree with but people you don't agree with and see what is what is the other thing going on over here and just also just the way i watch this is like movies can look like this you know, I'd, I'd seen plenty of beautiful animation before this, but I was I'd never seen anything like this where it just looked like a moving painting. And my brain processing that as a teenager was like, wow, I can the things that we can see are, are just endless. And, and you know, I, Barry, I, I loved it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I can I can feel your passion for it. And you know what? I I'm. I don't I don't watch these I don't watch the Chibli movies enough. I'll be honest with you. Hmm. I think um uh who's the creator again? Uh, uh Hayao Miyazaki. He's yeah. yeah, he's the director of a lot of them, um, including yeah. this one. So so I mean this studio period like even at the time 1997. If we think about 1997, I, I didn't actually look this up. I, w- I wanted to, but I wanted to going to see what other movies came out at this time. I looked that up. What is it? The, the, the biggest, biggest movie of 97 was Disney's Hercules. Hercules was Hercules. the biggest one? Okay. Well, and, and Titanic. Anastasia. Yes, oh, yes, well, yes. It, well, Titanic. Yeah. But, but yes. I mean, we're talking about like animated, animated movies. Animated. Yeah. yeah. Animated. So was, when was Mulan? Mulan was 90... I think in 99. Yeah, it was okay. later in the 90s. Or maybe even 98. It might have been the next year. But it, yeah, you had Hercules, Disney's Hercules, mm-hmm. and you had... I think it was Fox that released... Uh, Anastasia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of the bigger animated films of 97. But I think about those films, I was reminded like the talent alone that, that goes into making this type of animated film is truly a skill set that will never go out of style. Nor 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 should it in in like I think even now with like today with AI and what AI is providing like new creators I still think that nothing will ever compete with what they did or what they're doing in the style of animation that they're doing with this film. These films, they are beautiful. Like you said, it's like a painting. Like I think when I watch this, I'm like, man, like this is. It is not. You know, it wasn't. I mean, there's, there's the. You can say to to some degree, like you know, some animations or Disney or Pixar, they try to push the boundary and try to push push. Uh, you know, like what you can do with animation. And that's fantastic, and I think that's that's definitely there. Honestly, I would love to see more people do stuff like this, or even you know what the, what came to mind was actually um, uh, the Mitchells movie. There's oh, the Mitchells Netflix, versus the Machines, yeah. Mitchells versus Machines. They that also had a very unique, more. I mean, we think about. I mean, I think Spider Man gets touted as like the like fight against Pixar's like standard animation style. But I feel like these are the move, the animated films that like I really appreciate because it's people just doing their own flavor in a medium that can be easily just replicated from some like you know Pixar and Disney. 
Yeah, and and along with that, I, I love Derek that you mentioned that it's a it's a moving painting, right? Yeah. I mean, this it came out in '97, but it didn't make its way to the United States until '99. Once Miramax right. and the Weinstein's kind of kind of helped distribute that, right? So, looking even at like movies in '99, like this moving painting is just so amazing to see. And, and and you brought up like the complexity of of the themes and the characters. I think for me, like growing up, animation was just like, oh yeah, Hercules, right? Mm-hmm. The the Mulans of the world. And and I actually, and Danny and I, you, we've talked about this. I wasn't a big animated fan growing up. Like I I think I had seen like four Disney movies by the age of twenty one. Um, <laughs> and so like seeing the complexity of the themes it presents but of the characters as well yeah that's what i love about about this about ghibli in general but yeah. especially especially princess mononoke like being able to contrast these characters to other studio ghibli uh movies i feel like and, and i could be wrong you guys have watched more of these but like princess mononoke kind of stands on its own just because it, it's kind of like the middle point after this, then you get House Moving Castle, yeah. and you get more of, of like I don't want to say CGI, but more more influence from the CGI animation, right? And then before this, you had you know the the classic Ghibli ones. So it's just it's it's a perfect movie that's just kind of right in the middle of the of the Ghibli, yeah. yeah, set of movies. That's correct. Yeah, I mean that's that's interesting point you make, Marcel, because it's. It really is like this is the first time Miyazaki, who's he's very old school, very much like yeah. everything should be traditionally done and stuff like that. Yeah. But there's some stuff that you like cannot do with that, like tracking shots and stuff like that are just impossible right. to do uh, animated. And so this is the to- first time when he allowed some of those digital elements into the movie, the digital animation. And to a trained eye, you can see them. But like really, you're not unless you're like looking for them, you're not going to see a lot of this stuff. Right. And so it's just there. It's the same thing as like Jurassic Park, where it's it's they use it sparingly. They just use it as a tool when they need to, and they don't rely on it. It's and even you know the later Ghibli's might like kind of lean into them a little more, but you know animation as a whole has really gone away from this hand drawn style, which is a shame. And yeah, yeah, getting to see it here at this point, but still there's elements from what animation would become like you said like that's a very good point i think of like this is kind of a a uh, nexus point in the history of animated film now i don't i if i remember correctly i I feel like um that the chibli there were that they were going to do a couple more films or at least one more um like that someone was that um i can never say Uh, miyazaki miyazaki was going to come out of retirement and do one other film but so yeah, he. I, so it's interesting because this is his first retire. He's he retires more than Michael Jordan. Like he, this, <laughs> this was his first retirement. He was like, "This is gonna be my last movie." And then yeah. he's like, "Just kidding, I can't stay retired." And he came back and he did a few more films. And then he retired again um, with um, "The Wind Rises," yeah. and he's coming out of it again to do "How Do You Live." So I think I might have even missed a retirement, but he just keep because he's one of those guys who just can't stay away and he just has to he loves it so much you know and he's he's in his 80s like yeah. amazing yeah to like still still have that uh 
creativity itch within you, right? Yeah. But also like incorporate like your, I don't want to say traditional way of animation, but just just having mastered that way yeah. of, of animation. I think it's incredible. Kudos to the guy. All these Ghibli films, but I think particularly this one, anyone who watches this film will forever be be in love with and want to watch all the other films because they're it's beautiful. Especially, I mean, like, I mean, obviously you're a little bit younger. I mean, it's PG thirteen for a reason. Um, but even then, like, like you watch this, you're like intrigued by the art, by the the characters, which have some amazing stuff. I want to get into them. Um, I mean, also like the voice actors for this film were some top. Yeah, top name voice actors from America that I forget about. Um, and but to me, I think like th- these films are so good that anyone at any for the next several for years to come will always come in, and at some point we'll be like, we'll be these underrated films, Derek. Like <laughs> they're gonna be like, hey, have you seen this movie? Like I, I without a doubt will, like I will probably watch. Um, we do movie nights on Fridays with my family, and. Um, on my turn to pick a movie, I'm probably going to do Kiki's um, uh, delivery service because it's it's a wonderful one to introduce my kids to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, I was just going to say that's that's kind of like a perfect segue to. I wanted to mention how because that happened to me where, like I said, I watched this movie when I was 15 or 16, and I remember it was my my one of my best friends uh, was was part of the Japanese club. And they were doing a, we had like this weird split campus where we're like, there was like a hill you had to go up to and go to like the up, upper campus it was called. And so they were doing like a movie night up there. So I walked up to the upper campus and watched it on this like outdoor screen. And I was like, wow. oh my, it like blew my mind. It changed me forever. And I was like, well, now I have to watch all of these. I have to, and I haven't still haven't seen all the Ghibli stuff, but I've seen all of the Hayao Miyazaki directed ones. And like they had a couple more movie nights, and I was I went into it being like, I know these are going to be incredible, but there's no way they can possibly recapture the magic of Mononoke because it's just for me specifically so perfect and just about everything that I love and just you know, just like I said, just molded my brain like Play-Doh, and you can only do that so many times. Yeah. Um, but I did go back and watch like Kiki and the rest of these, and over the next, you know probably 10 years I, I went through and watched his entire filmography because I was just like, this is it. This is it. This is my guy. Um, there's some really, if you are interested in his like process and everything, there's a couple really interesting documentaries. I think they're both on HBO max about him. Uh, there was, I got to go to um, the, the uh, Academy museum down in LA for a couple months last year was doing this exhibit on him. You couldn't even take pictures or anything. I got to check that out. Wow. Phenomenal. Like that museum was cool, but like, I'm really bummed that that wing was only temporary because they've taken it out now. It was just a temporary thing, but yeah, it was so cool. And just, he's just kind of this insane perfectionist guy, like a lot of these animators are. So yeah, yeah, I I was so, so on board once watching this movie. That's really cool. That's really cool. I think for me, this is, this is my first time watching it. Yeah, me too. And as a 30 something year old watching it for the first time, I can attest to that. Yes. Like I'm going to watch more of these. Like I'm adding them to our family movie night. Like let's do it. Like I, 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 I was telling daddy, I, I saw Kiki's it's been at least a decade since I've seen it. And, and I just fell in love with it. 
but I just never revisited. And now after watching Mononoke, it's like I have fallen in love again and let's let's do it. So I can attest to that. But I kind of want to dig a little bit. I love something that you mentioned, uh, Derek, was the the characters, right? And for me, I just love Lady Eboshi. Yeah. You bring up this point that like there she's the closest thing that we have to like an antagonist in this film. And 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 that's what's so complex about this movie is that we don't really have a very clear defined villain, right? It's different perspectives, it's points of views, it's objectives and 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 what they're trying to accomplish. And for me, like at first, when when we're introduced to Lady Eboshi and she's shooting down the the wolves and and San, you're like, man, like how dare she? (laughs) But then as you get into like Iron Town and you see what she's doing, for me, I had a complete shift and I was like, I kind of see where she's coming from. I get this. You know, it's funny you say that, Marcel, because like I, when I went watching this and because I also watched this for the first time. For me, you know, I felt as I was watching the characters how much it's just a matter of circumstance Mm -hmm. and how – but the key to all of it is how much that like we get so caught up in trying to be – to provide something better that we forget that there can be a balance. Um it doesn't mean you have to go all in on this one thing or never have that at all. I mean, I, I, I get, for whatever reason, um, AI is coming to my mind because like it's been in my, my, my realm and everything, but like people are like, AI is going to ruin creativity or, um, you know, like I never want to touch it. Or people are like, Oh, I want to do everything with AI, but really there can be a balance in nature, in, in, in our lives, in what we do. Is there sacrifices? Absolutely, right? But do they have to be the hardest of sacrifices by like destroying the whole the whole forest? Mm-hmm. I love that because one of my notes and, and one of the themes I feel like caught up at this time was technology versus nature, mm-hmm. right? And, and I think the movie does a great job exploring the tension between technology and nature, obviously. But it can it it depicts a very unique conflict. You talk about balance, right? You bring up AI. In this case, it's 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 this industrial revolution almost that they're mm-hmm. ha- having. Um, but I love these opposing forces, and you, you know you 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 have obviously Mononoke, the forest gods, and then Lady Eboshi, who who embody these two opposing forces, but at what cost of technological progress are we going to have? What's that impact and at what cost are we experiencing it? In our case, maybe AI, right? But I think these are very crucial themes. Like what are we willing to sacrifice and what is the cost that that's going to give us? Right. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's one thing that the film touches on a lot. It's like, yeah, technology in itself is, not a bad thing as long as it's not overwhelming the rest of the natural world. It's not destroying things. Technology on its own, Irontown itself is not necessarily a bad thing. Right. But when Irontown is going out and trying to destroy the forest and kill the forest god and kill the monkeys and all this stuff, that's when it becomes dangerous. That's when, and by the end, 
the forest comes and takes it back and the forest and the, you see the forge burning at the end and nature kind of reclaims it and a balance is at least temporarily restored for a bit. And I think that's a really cool message for the film to end on. Yeah. It, along with that, I think the impacts of war and violence, right? Mm-hmm. In this case, yeah, it's not bad to have progress, right? If we can find that balance, but when we introduce the, this, these themes of war and violence, that's when the greatest consequences and, and impacts in, in this story take place, right? Um, mm-hmm. And we see that with with the characters, uh, the the cost of, of violence. And and I I want to talk a little bit about that, especially with this movie, right? Let's let's kind of in context with 1997 and 1999, you weren't really seeing animated films that had these themes of of, of war of violence. For me, when I was watching that that first scene um, with um, with the demon possessed old boar, right, mm-hmm. and he is just going at it. Or actually, no, the, the it's the other scene after he has left the village and he he comes across a town and he's yeah. with the bow and arrow and you know he loses control and like the decapitated. <laughs> head just goes flying i was like okay yeah we're going this way i like it like <laughs> it's interesting though like i i, I love these uh, I, I love the the way that the movie presents violence in this environment thoughts on that this film does it like we're saying a really good job of it and it shows something that you can really only do in film and particularly animated film does this really well where they are using visual language and metaphor to kind of portray this hatred and violence growing, particularly with Ashitaka, when, you know, at first, like when that boar first attacks, he tries to find a peaceful solution and he is not able to come to a peaceful solution. So he has to resort to violence and whether or not you think that is um, merited or not, like that violence is justified. He still chooses that violence and it leaves a physical mark on him. And just like, people who choose violence a lot of times he's trying to find a way to kind of pacify that for himself but then he ends up choosing violence again and again and every single time that he does you see this mark grow and the and every time he chooses hatred or malice he's you know something that is against his nature it kind of grows and this disease that you see literally on his body this curse spreads more and more across him and i think one of the greatest shots in the entire film and it's like a rad scene. It's like really cool when they hit you cool and you just like the archer hits you cool, his elk, and he's like mad. He's like, all right, and he starts mm-hmm. taking these guys out. And there's that one shot of his hand where he's like grabs his sword and you just see he's wearing the, like the full gloves and it just kind of creeps in above it. Yeah. I think that like visual storytelling is so powerful it gave me chills because you're just like wow this is this dude who is at his core a pacifist but is resorting to these means and he maybe has no other choice maybe there's nothing else he can possibly do in this situation but that doesn't matter because it is still going to have this effect on both him and the world around him for the worse to me um Ashitaka, his his whole clan, his whole like his who he is, his identity is such a unique character. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, the movie is called Princess Mononoke, but we follow Ashitaka. And I was trying, I honestly, so I actually had a question. Why do you think that is? I think a couple of reasons. You you talk about how his clan, his tribe is what makes up who he is. But this is an isolated group. Yeah, they're who, they're like a legend. They're a legend, mm-hmm. right? To the rest of uh, of the country, right? Yeah. Um, they're isolated. There is no outside forces bringing conflict, or not even bringing conflict, but testing their ideals, testing mm-hmm. their 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 values. So for Ashitaka to be shunned out, to go into the the world, so to speak, and to actually have to put into practice what his tribe, what his clan what they stand for and princess mononoke being the vessel to drive that that part of the story i think that's why she is what's driving and and perhaps challenging ashitaka at times to Mm. to really evaluate and say am i a pacifist am i going to allow myself to fall into the anger into the hatred whereas he looks into uh, into San Mononoke, and she is the one that her her path is what's helping him define himself. Yeah, yeah no, I, I think so. That's a good. That's really well put. But Ashitaka has such an interesting because he 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 goes to Lady Eboshi, and he he gets involved with the female workers. He she takes him to her secret of having the lepers and her. And and him working through, but at the same time, like you said, like having Prince uh, San be this character that is helping him define that, but him also being a character that like wants, like finding this line of being new to this, like coming into this perspective with this like end termination of like. I'm I'm going to hate the world and I'm going to try to destroy it, but I'm going to try to figure out what is it? What can I do? What, what's the line? Um, oh man, I, sh- I didn't write it down because I was uh, I was watching it on my phone doing some other stuff. Is it to to see with eyes unclouded by hate? There you go. Oh, gosh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Such line. a good line. Such a good line. I yeah. can't remember it because I, I, I trash. Think, <laughs> I, I think like. You know, to answer your question, and it harkens back to what we were talking about earlier about balance, because like you're saying, he is from this isolated tribe that had been in the past devastated by violence, and they're the kind of just this isolated remnant of it. And he is really just kind of this middle path where he's from a society, and so he's not out in nature like Son and the Wolves. He has been raised as a human, but it's a it's not he's not part of the wider world he's in this middle ground and i think he really fits as this personification of the balance that the film is mm. trying to hit because on one side you have a boshi who is kind of representative of the new world and quote unquote progress and then you have san who is a human but is from this older world this kind of oldness that is trying to hang on and he, i love how even the movie ends with yeah, she's still going to live in the forest. He'll live in Irontown. But he is the middle line. He is the bridge between. He wants to 
they, they, Boshi and or Boshi and um, San keep talking about how they're enemies and stuff like that. And people keep saying about him throughout the whole movie. Like that's something I noticed this time watching is people keep being like, "Oh, you're on their side." You're on, like the yeah. Oboshi will be like, "Oh, you're on this side," and San will be like, "I knew you were on their side." And he, his whole thing is he's like not on anyone's side. He's just trying to help everyone. But people keep trying to pigeonhole himself and seeing him as like, "Oh." You're you're closer to them than you are to me when he's really in the middle. So I thought that that's probably the reason why he's just kind of the the central figure in it. Ah, oh, now I'm just going back to that line. I love that. No, and, and what's so great about that line? He it's he he tells it to Lady Eboshi, right? He's mm-hmm. in he's in Iron Town, and this is right before she shows him the garden, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And and. And she asks, like, what do you plan to do? Why are you here? And that's when he says, you know, to, to see with the eyes unclouded by hate. She laughs at him a bit. And she says, okay, sure. I'll show, me, you, show, my, show you my, my secrets. secrets. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and so you have this <sighs> Lady Eboshi, man. I just love her. But, yeah. like, she, she, she has this approach of, of, like, sure, I am here to protect my people. Let me show you why I'm here. And what I'm trying to achieve and why I not necessarily want to destroy, but why I want to provide progress for for humans. Mm-hmm. You, one thing that's really, I think, intriguing about this film is that we have this uh, this theater of of the nature and the trees and the old like the 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 spirits, the nature spirits that are there and that are dying. But we don't like there's also this whole other battle of like that we don't ever touch on in the film on the fact that like there are samurais with armor that they're trying to pierce that like are in progress. The their whole other there's some other world there that has made bigger progress that has impacted Lady Yoboshi and what's the the little guy's name that uh Thornton is it? Thornton? Oh, uh, Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, plays yeah. in yeah the dub. I think his the character's name is Jiro. Jiro, Jiro, yeah, something like that. Oh, yeah. Who's uh, his little like witch shoes that can <laughs> run like a rabbit? Um, <laughs> I love the shoes. I know, uh, but he, him have, even having him's role, his role in the sense that like he's this other party that has a way big some other agenda that. He like he's like you know if you're gonna kill a god let someone else do your dirty work that he is in a different spot where Iboshi is clouded and she just wants to make progress because she hates some other thing whereas Ashitaka hasn't had hatred he's trying to figure out and he's been forced to feel like okay well, what is it that's happening what can I do before I can no longer have a choice and. Uh, to me, as I was watching this, no, like the the people who like Son, um, Billy Bob Thornton's character, um, Lady Boshi, and even Ashitaka all have something that have external that may have happened to them that have put them in some sort of path for where they are. But you look at like the people of Iron Town, and they're just they're happy and they just want to live and they want to protect their home, their family. You look at the spirits, the gorillas, who have conflict with the the wolves, and they're like, look, we, we just want to be able to protect our home, and you're causing conflict with that. How much that same sort of 
technology versus nature or the hatred and anger and love and compassion is always this tug of war in this film and how even in our lives, like people who you're around have such a huge impact on where your eyes are being clouded. And, you know, whether that be very hatred or depression or any other sort of aspect in that thing. To me, that's one of those things I think I, I was really um, impacted by, by what, what for this first time. I, I like that you mentioned that. I, I think for me, this the, the, the movie shows how acts of kindness and empathy can overcome hate and violence. 100%. Right? Yeah. And, and, and we, we see how uh, Ashitaka's ability to carry the wounded soldiers back to, to Irontown makes everyone just fall in love with them, right? <laughs> and, and, and it allows also for like Lady Eboshi to like say, hey, thank you. Like, I'm intrigued by what you're doing. Um, and, and it opens up a, a door for, for further conversation, further discussion. And, and I just love that in, in, in the movie that even at the end, right? It, it's just that, that a deep understanding of others. And I think for, for Ashitaka, had he not seen the 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 details and and, and the, yeah the, the depth of iron town i don't think he would have felt that way towards the end right it's it's when you when you make that effort to have a deep understanding of others even those who at times we perceive as enemies or antagonists that's when it can lead us to a peaceful resolution of of ideals of conflicts of of whatever it is yeah, yeah. Because when he he runs out there to kind of rejoin the fight, he's after the that big battle is taken place. He's not going out there to try and fight anyone. He's going out there to, because he's like Lady Eboshi, Your town is under attack by samurai. You need to help them. And she has that line of like, "Why should I believe you?" He's like, "What are you talking about? Like, I'm I'm out here trying to help you." And everyone's just kind of like, "What is this guy's motivation?" And you just see, like you said, the kindness and empathy come through him. And that's one thing I love about this movie is it just kind of shows that there there's these effects of this kindness that ripple out to beyond what you can even see. And I didn't even catch this one moment until probably 10 or so times I'd seen it. Cause it was like, it's a blink and you'll miss it moment. That's something I love about this movie. There's just so many details in it. Um, but after they, you know, they have this moment of empathy where they're like returning the head and you see the, just the curse spilling down them and you're like oh my god like they've he's been trying this whole, that's the whole reason he even came here was to try and get rid of this curse and now he's covered in it but he lifts up the head in this very selfless act and then that not only cures him but kind of like cures everything to they like there's uh, one of the lepers you see unwraps their bandage it looks at the hand the lepers yeah. are cured like it's it's yeah. so it's just so cool how much is in this movie and it just shows that these little things that you do that might seem insignificant or even are big have all of these effects going down the line that you can't even predict. I have a question. Mm. In our notes, you have environmentalism. And you mentioned this earlier, Derek, about how this film you know, is huge. It, it helps that message. Avatar, Way of Water, I mean, even the first Avatar, but I feel like even, again, with Avatar, Way of Water coming out, what is this movie doing that is better or than what James Cameron d 
did with Avatar. Have you seen Avatar, Derek? Yeah, yeah, I, I've seen it. Okay. Uh, I, I think the second one's probably better than the first one. Um, Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> I, I think that what this movie does that that does, movie doesn't do is, especially the first Avatar movie, is incredibly simplistic. It's just big, bad, dumb guys from Earth come, and one of them learns that, hey, nature good, and I'm going to fight for nature. Whereas this is so much more complex because this is still a film that is saying nature is good and needs to be protected. But it's not just like, hey, the world at large is just coming to destroy everything. There can still be a way for these things to still live in harmony. Whereas Jake Sully gives up everything about his old life in the natural world and just kind of fully embraces this new reality that he lives in and just goes and lives in nature... This film does not end with um, Ashitaka deciding to go and live in nature. He's like, I'm still living in Irontown. I will help to rebuild. That's how it ends with him promising to rebuild this civilization. But for that, the promise of this film to, uh, for that town to then live in harmony with nature in a way that it could not have before. And saw and him and San having some kind of, relationship where they are kind of almost stand-ins for here's nature and here's like humanity here's human civilization and they're going to be in a romantic relationship presumably that is representative of the relationship that nature and humanity should have whereas they're things that can work together in harmony rather than things that just need to be opposed and that we just need to kick out all of you know progress and everything because like I said James Cameron, obviously, he loves nature and everything, but he still is flying around $50,000 jets and, and you know, right. building these ships that can go down to the bottom of the sea and everything. And that's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's exactly no. what this movie is saying. I love that. I love that you say that. And I think we, we won't get dig into Avatar too much, but I think that's always been my criticism is the character of Jake Sully. Mm-hmm. He, his motivations aren't really well-defined. He, he decides to go one way, go another way, and he's never a character that's well thought out and, and, and really making decisions out of his own, out of his own will, right? Whereas here you have Ashitaka, right? He, he stands for something. He's facing conflict. And like you said, he, he doesn't join one side or the other. There can be balance and, and there can be a way for bo- both oppositions to work together. I think another thing and, and that I think hits differently than Avatar is the fact that that nature is personified in this movie, right? They're, they're, they're living beings that deserve respect and protection. Whereas in Avatar, you have Neytiri, who's kind of the voice and the reasoning behind the traditions and why we need to have respect for 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 Pandora. But here, the the, the sp- Spirit gods are, or the forest gods are, are literally there and having conversations and they're talking about their struggles. They're talking about what's going to happen if, if, if they all die. I think the comment earlier is why I brought up this question is because to me, like this isn't like when you watch Avatar, it's like you watch this cinema CG Marvel of a, of a film but then you have this like hammer of like colonialism and like <laughs> environmentalism thing that's like 
hitting you in the face every single time you see other things. Is it beautiful? Cool. Yeah. But this film is trying to depict more of a bigger universal truth, which is, will we be consumed by, by our desire for progress? Will we be consumed by our hatred? Will be, will we be consumed by tradition? I mean, you think of like the, the spirit, like you said, like this, these, I mean, we have the spirit who's like this creature that comes in and helps out and it like heals into, you know, Ashitaka and then ends up trying to help, you know, provide an end for the boar that at the end of the day, like the, the actual like animals, the wolves, the, the, the gorillas or monkeys, um, the boars that they all have their own, they're doing the same sort of dealings that they're trying to manage that humans are dealing with. Yeah. Like it's, it's like, it's not that like, it's not like, you know, you look at this, it's like, well, we don't want the, the sky people here. Right. Mm-hmm. Here. It's just like, look, we just don't want to like not be able to communicate <laughs> and like live our life and they're take or, you know, for the gorillas, they're taking away our homes. Um, for son, it's like, she, you know, she, she, she's, she's angry with the situation. Um, and wants to protect. She's she's a warrior. She wants to you know that that protection of something that is sacred to her and her family. To me, it's I find that like this movie, what what this what Mononoke provides us is the ability to see a film that is beautiful, that's well told, that has interesting characters that we can you can everybody can kind of relate to. Yeah. But then we see one big thing at the end. It, we have a healing factor. But the whole thing is not not even like, I mean, like you said, Derek, earlier, like he has a selfless act. And I think to me, like it's a big act there. But like if we can think less of ourselves and help other people, just no matter who they are, that their eyes will no longer be clouded. And at the end of the day, we're going to be, we're, we're going to have a good laugh. We're going to share a nice smile. I'll have a good conversation. I think Lady Iboshi, she's like, well, I guess we're rebuilding. You know what? This time I'm going to do a little bit better. Yeah. 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 I love that. What, is, what, <laughs> what, what, more, what more can you do? Right? Yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> I, uh, I know we're coming up on time. So I kind of want to ask you both, what is your favorite scene? And why? Yeah, this is this is hard. This is something I was I was thinking about a lot because to me, like the movie is just like a collection of every scene is just like incredible. And I could literally say probably any any scene in the movie. You know, I already talked about the one where he is getting attacked by those horsemen, and it's so cool. But it's also just really visual uh, does a really good job of visually establishing the themes of the film. But I think that yeah, that the last sequence when they're kind of running through the forest and that music the the incredible score um by uh joe uh i never know how to pronounce his name hasai hasachi um but he scores a lot of the ghibli films his that score it's just so you just feel like you see all the beautiful the the you know the um kodama and they're just falling and it's so dire and you're just like oh my gosh 
we, we really you, you you just want them to succeed and win and you know everything is riding on this and that they have already to a, an extent kind of lost because you know the forest spirit is dead but that it ends with them giving it back and be like the sport forest spirit isn't dead he he continues to live in nature and in all of us and that sequence does everything i love about this movie it is thrilling it is emotionally res- resonant and it is just really badass also <laughs> <laughs> well said well said Derek. danny oh you want me to go okay go ahead to me it's a way more subtle i, I was thinking i'm like you know what i was gonna maybe go with the Ashitaka, Princess Mononoke, uh, Iboshi, like conflict in in Iron Town. But you know what? I think it's truly the moment where he, uh, Lady Iboshi is taking Ashitaka to go to see the garden. He wa- he's he's just it's the you know he's had dinner with the men and he's kind of just sitting there and he he's interacting with the those men. The women show up. And then he walks past where the women are working. He sees their hard work that are actually providing what the real work to make everything work to get the iron. Goes to see Lady Iboshi, who's just told him, like, look, I'm trying to help these lepers. And or I've helped these lepers too much I can. And they're helping me by providing, you know, engineering and, and growth. And then he walks back and he stops at the bellows and he decides to come in and help them do this and then starts to come in like like probably some every one of us guys would do is like <laughs> all right i'm gonna do this and like starts making the women like whoa what's happening here <laughs> but then giving him the, like look you're gonna this is this is a it's a marathon i don't know what it is about that scene because i it, it feels um very real it feels very relatable, but also the subtext of Ashitaka. The way they they drew his character, the way they animated his character as he walks. I mean, he's almost to the end on both accounts when he stops and, yeah. you know, comes in. He like, because I was like, is he going to stop? Is he going to stop? Oh, he's not going to stop. Oh, he stops. But it's like, towards like to me, I think it's like him, that, that journey of like, will he make that? He's observing, and then he's like, "You know what? I want to be involved." I don't know. This is pretty, pretty, pretty great. Nice, scene. nice. I like that. I think for me, is is the scene of the conflict in 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 Iron Town when when uh, San and and Lady Boshi are are fighting. Um, one, I, I think that's probably my favorite like action sequence of the movie. Um, I don't really know. Good. I just really <laughs> love the animation in that as as they're on the roof as she's coming in. Um, but more importantly, I think for me, it's it's Lady Iboshi is fighting with 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 San. Uh, Ashitaka makes his way through, and he says something along the lines of like, "Hey, like, stay your hand. The girl's under my protection." Iboshi kind of laughs at him, um, something like, "I think she'll make a good wife for you." Yeah. But then, like, he starts like his his curse curse starts kind of like revealing itself. And and I wrote down what he says. He says, "Look, everyone, this is this is what hatred looks like. Oh, yeah. This is what it does when it catches hold of you. It's eating me alive, and very soon now it will kill me. Fear and anger 
only make it grow faster. And I love just like these leeches, <laughs> symbiote venom leeches um, <laughs> that that just represent it. And, and there are this metaphor for, for anger and hatred. And when he delivered that and, and with the payoff at the end of the movie, I just love going back to that scene and how he just says, this is what happens. You, Iron Town, you, San, are allowing anger to to consume you for me it's literally in this leech but we have to stop right and i just love that message in 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 the movie i don't know if it's because it's like the the political environment we live in and everything is just so whacked out but it just stood out to me and i just love that theme there yeah, no, that's 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 really well said. It's perfect, and yeah, that's like right at the midpoint of the movie. So it's just like yeah, we're yeah. giving you our thesis right now, going wow. forward. This is kind of like the, the zenith or the middle. Just everything is kind of centered around it. So yeah, that's perfect. So cool, Derek. What a great choice, man. I'm glad <laughs> you you chose this movie. I'm glad it wasn't Jurassic Park. <laughs> you know what? I'm more glad about. I'm glad that we both had not seen it. Yeah, you run a podcast called Underrated. Even though I don't think his movie's underrated, and I never have, I just it's been on my list, and I was like, you know, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. Yeah, um, I'm so glad so I got to think- introduce you guys both to it because that I was not expecting that. So that that's rad. Like I I love when I get to I made all my friends. Like they had a showing of this at a local a local theater, our local art house theater, and I dragged a bunch of my friends to it. So I'm glad I'm making you. Hopefully I've hopefully some of I will also make some of the listeners listen to watch this yes. movie because yes. so good. And if you haven't seen it, what are you doing? Watch it now. <laughs> Please, please do. Do yourself a favor. Well, again, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, We would love it if you could subscribe uh, on whatever platform you're listening to, as well as give us a five-star rating since it helps us get discovered on on the charts. If you're listening on Spotify, at the bottom of the episode shown us, you can see various ways that you can interact with us via polls as well as a question. Uh, so be sure to check that out. If you're on YouTube, you can leave us a comment answering the question of the uh, the episode, question of the day, or of the episode. And then um, let us know what your thoughts are on Prince with Princess Mononoke. Why is it your favorite? Why you haven't seen it, and why you should when after watching it and you come back and watch this episode. Uh, what did we miss? Uh, you can always get in touch with us via email. You're at realchums.com or connect with us on Twitter or and YouTube. And Instagram. And Instagram, <laughs> at Real Chums, everywhere you find social. Uh, you can also follow me at Rubio underscore TV. And myself uh, on Twitter at Marstrosity, M-A-R-C-T-R-O-S-I-T-Y. Derek, a- again, thank you for joining us, but where, mm-hmm. where can our listeners find you? Yeah, yeah, like I was saying, uh, check, check out the Unrated podcast. We're on all the, the same things, Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, all that good stuff. Uh, look up Undercast Company on Instagram, um, Undercast Co. on Twitter. Uh, if you want to see my per- uh, my personal Instagram, it's just Derek's Photos, D-E-R-I-C-K-S Photos. Uh, and then on Twitter, I'm uh, at Derek McDuff. So yeah, Derek McDuff on Medium and all that good stuff as well. So uh, yeah, I'd love, love for some of your lovely listeners to check some stuff out. Hopefully I can give them some more underrated films but if i've this is the only one i've given them i'm i'm very content <laughs> hey no it's a great one and again if you haven't please go check them out it's a great podcast you guys have a Thank great you. group you guys bring up some great movies i love recently you did uh james bond uh 
tomorrow's not enough oh tomorrow tomorrow never dies yeah that was a, never that was a fun episode oh gosh that, yeah yeah i've always said that one's my favorite that one's my favorite pierce brosnan movie yeah okay okay uh, very nice yeah but I, it was great having you guys revisit that one yeah that was, was fun great. we got we had uh trisha Aran from um beyond the screenplay guested on that episode right. so that was that was a yeah. really good one awesome well hey join us next week we're going to be discussing our first series the mandalorian yep because you know we have to, we have to. <laughs> you are contractually <laughs> obligated i think at this point <laughs> <laughs> all right guys we'll see you guys in the next one later thank you thank you